Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Coming up on this episode of White Wine Question Time. He said that you were so obsessed with MTV News that you used to walk up to people on campus and go, this is Melvin O'Doom for MTV News. Uh, how did you find that? I can't even remember. Yeah, but that's exactly what... That's what, what, self-belief, what, my friend. That is... That's crazy that you used to know that. So like, a- it was like manifesting before we called it manifesting. You became part of their setup whilst dressed as a dolphin performing The Running Man. So, I mean, as auspicious starts go, Mel, it's up there. You do your research, Kate, man. i tell you <laughs> that. My sister would sit and watch all the videos with me and then she learnt Jeanette's moves, not as well as Jeanette did, but she would basically practice with me every night after I practiced with Jeanette in the day and then that's how I learnt the routine. She is a great sister. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a voice who'll be familiar to millions who've grown up listening to him, first on Kiss FM, where he hosted The Breakfast Show with Ricky Hayward-Williams and Charlie Hedges for 12 years, before moving on to Radio 1, where they now host the evening slot every weeknight from 9 till 11. Now 43, he was born and raised in London with his younger sister Yona and his Ghanaian parents split when he was four. From a young age, he knew he wanted to be a performer. He loved making people laugh and started to turn that into something that could grow into a profession whilst he was at university working on student radio and then Luton Radio with his then new best friend, Ricky. Via a brief detour working as a drama teacher, he's worked his way up from a stint as an unpaid work experience boy at One Extra to become an award-winning host of the Kiss Breakfast Show and now the evening show at Radio 1. As well as his work on air, he's also fronted television shows for the BBC, for MTV, Extra Factor for ITV, and in 2016 managed to win Strictly Come Dancing the Christmas special just months after being the first celebrity to be voted off from that year's series. And right now, he's taking part in a brilliant brand new series for Channel 4. It's called Save Our Sperm. Yes, you heard me right. Let's dial him up to him more, shall we? It's Melvin Adun. How are you? 
Okay, you, you know what? You make me actually sound good. Like, <laughs> you are good, you nutter. I should take you out on dates and you can just do that intro for me and that would be amazing. Yeah, I heard about one of your terrible dating experiences. One, I've heard a few. Well, because are you still single, by the way, Melf? I am at the moment, yeah. What, yeah. are you thinking of setting me up with someone? But there's always, listen, yeah, that's really? a great idea. That Literally, my like Rolodex is too. clicking in my All mind. Right, yeah, think about it. Let me You're know. You're a nice guy. There's not a lot of you about. <laughs> Thank you. Do, do you mind an older woman? I don't I'm not mind. Yeah. For me, by the way, this is for friends. Yeah. Is this, are you is, are you chatting me up right now? No, no. I'm I'm thinking. I've got some mates, but you know, uh, do, do you like to date women your own age, a little bit older, a little bit younger? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, I'm not fussy if I'm honest. You're not fussy. Yeah. <laughs> is this because of the undue pressure that you're under from your female family members to get it on and get it done and yeah. get some grandchildren when you say that, out. Basically my mum and my sister like can't wait for me to have kids. But I need to find like a partner first. Surely that comes first before having kids. Well apparently you, you you've kind of decided to, you know, bank it for now anyway with save our sperm whilst <laughs> the, the quest continues. What before we get back to your love life yeah. and how I might be able to help, save our sperm. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so uh, Channel 4 and a production company called Crack It Productions um, got in touch with me and they said, look, Melvin, we want to speak to you about this TV show. There's been a rapid decline in um, male sperm over the years. And if it continues, your grandchildren will struggle to have children. We want to create a show where we'll raise awareness for, for males all across the UK um, about what they can do in terms of improving their sperm count. And I was like, look, I know nothing about this. I don't know why you're asking me. But I thought it was interesting. And I've, I've always it said to myself... It's interesting. It's mad I mean, interesting. That, like, just the science alone mm. on those stats is enough to make you lean in and go, hang on a minute, what? Yeah. You know? It's, it's, and I think when it, came, when it comes to fertility, a lot of people just focus on women. Yeah. And this kind of highlighted the fact that actually men can do their part when it comes to um, creating a child. And I changed my whole lifestyle. Me, myself, Russell Kane and Ollie from Made in Chelsea, Ollie Locke, we were basically guinea pigs for about three months. And we had to change little things about what we were doing in our life to see if we could improve our sperm count. And luckily, I was able to do that. And since then, I've had people messaging me. Mel, you, you trebled your sperm count. Yeah, I know. You were the success story of the trio, right? Put it this way. After this podcast, you're going to be pregnant. That's how, <laughs> that's how full of sperm I am right now. You're <laughs> so was, fertile, I can smell it from here. You could, you could actually smell it. So it's like, it was, a, it was a crazy show. At the start, I knew nothing. At the end, I knew so much. And, and hopefully, we can help a lot of men men and couples out there so despite the fact that you know obviously the title suggests something very different there's a real there's a real purpose to this show i mean i know for russell russell's been on as, as a guest before and he's a lovely guy and he was very clear at the time this was way before the show that you've just done uh that he didn't want any more children he had one daughter mina and he said she's you know she was enough yeah. and and then he was told that across the, the, the course of the show that actually he's, he's effectively infertile now, isn't he? Yeah. And he, and he I mean, to, that was a lot for him to come to terms with. That's, that's, that's big news. Yeah, I think for, for any man, I mean, there's, there is a link between, you know, male fertility and masculinity. And I think for, when we got, when we started that show and we did our, our sperm test or whatever and 
basically wanked into a cup. I was going to say, this... how did that work? But thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, Literally. Yeah, that's, that's, and I'm sure the nurse that... said the same. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that's what happened. And um, at the, when we went into this clinic, we all wanted to, to do really well. And I think there is a direct link between the two things. And so although Russell doesn't want kids, like you know, I think once you know we were given those figures, it, it, it was really quite an important bit of information. And Russell's a really interesting one. You know that he's a complete geek when it comes to science and all of this stuff. So he was doing like tests at home. He, he knew so much before we even got there. Um, but in, in his case, a lot of the coffee that he's drinking and there's a product that he uses on his hair, I can't remember the name of it, but that does have an effect or it had Isn't an effect on his facility. So yeah, but he was able to increase his count as well. So there's so many different things. For me, it was, I, I have a lot of processed food. I have a lot of sweets. I drink a lot of bottled water and I, I'm always like in layers. I love to be warm. So when I go to the gym, I used to have three layers. So I, I stopped all of that and, and was able to change it. Yeah, I made a show years and years ago um, uh, about testicular cancer, but we covered, we touched on some of this. It was called Better Mind Your Bollocks. Right, <laughs> great names. It's a great name, isn't it? Um, I'd suggest it's better than Save Our Sperm. Um, <laughs> But, I wouldn't argue with you, actually. It is a better name. Yeah. Um, and Gordon Ramsay and Jamie Oliver were, were on the show. So basically, it was, a, it was a bunch of very well-known men all discussing their relationship from sort of puberty onwards with their testicles, right? Just to try and sort of shake off some of the taboos around it. And one of the things that the chefs talked about a lot was uh, literally standing over hot ovens. It was literally cooking their sperm. Yeah. yeah Damaging yeah, yeah. their sperm count. So there's you've got to keep so, them cool is what I learned. Yeah, there's, there's so much that we do without even thinking about it. For me, again, heated seats in the car. Like, yeah. for me, it's a luxury. But that's not great for your sperm. Going in hot tubs, not great for your sperm. Yeah. Um, jacuzzis, anything like that is, is just terrible. Because that's why our testicles are outside of our bodies. So to they stay can cool. Remain, cool. remain cool. And we're not doing that. A lot of people aren't doing that. And if it yeah. continues to, to, to de decrease in that way, when we... When we're older, our grandchildren will struggle to conceive. Really interesting. So you're glad you yeah. took part? Yeah, I mean, when, when they asked me to do it, I was, I was like, why are you asking me? I was like, how can I help? But by the end of it, I, I thought it was really, really important show for me to do. And um, like I said, I've had so many people messaging, men, women, asking for advice, um, mm. asking what I did to change my lifestyle. Um, I, I kind of told them my story and my experience, but then I've kind of pointed them in the direction of some of the specialists that I work with, like Dr. Anand. Um, there's a lady called uh, Melanie who we work with. Um, there's, there's a clinic that we went to. Um, in so genuinely, if men are worried, I mean, they can catch this on, child, on foreign demand, right? Yeah. It's up, it's, up it's, it's streaming now. But it gives you just some really simple things that you can do without going to see a doctor. Yeah. To just give your sperm count a better chance, right? Yeah. Like you and said, it's, no it's heated seats, safe stuff. cut down yeah. the coffees, no smoking, yeah. don't get it's, in a jacuzzi. It's not crazy stuff and it's not going to cost you any money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully it should, it should change things for you. So for the purposes of research, I started um, clicking around, having a little read up on you. Oh God. Okay. And I learned some things about you and what it is that you're looking for in a relationship. Here we go, what did I, I say? Where did you, what sources did you go to for this, by the way? Well, you, you sat and chatted to, to Ricky quite a lot, your lovely oh, Ricky. Don't listen to anything I say with Ricky, by the way. No? Yeah, it's probably gonna get me in trouble. 
Well, no, no, I mean, one thing you did allude to was that you had a bit of a thing for Carol Vorderman. Now, Carol has five partners, but I'm, I hear there's room for six. <laughs> I mean, listen, I've always been a fan of Carol Vorderman. That woman can fly helicopters. She's good with numbers. She's, you know, an, an amazing an broadcaster, activist. I mean, what is there not to like about She's the Vorders? Do you know Carol Vorderman? I do know Carol Vorderman. Is it? Yeah, I do. I feel like there's a cue, though. Well, no, what it is is a rotor. <laughs> there's a rotor. Okay, there's a rotor. <laughs> I don't know if I could share my borders with anyone. Really? Yeah. Leave it with me, my friend. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I'll leave it in your capable hands. It's in my filing cabinet. Things <laughs> to do. <laughs> Mention to Carol. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she like, she knows. I think by she's the way. got room for one more. Last last I read, there was five five guys, right? Right. I reckon she could squeeze in six, but like God, she still needs to rest on a Sunday. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm happy to work around her schedule, but you know, the Vorders actually knows I'm a fan of her work. Right? Does she? Yeah, I actually wrote a rap about her. On uh, a show on on BBC on no it was ITV two, it's right. called Don't Hate the Players. Yeah, and and there's a kind of a section where you have to write a rap, and I decided to write my rap about Carol Vorderman, and she she she's seen it because she reposted it on her page, so she definitely knows. Right. I don't know. I can't understand why I haven't been added to the rotor. No, I need to get you to the top of her feed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. The other thing that you shared with Ricky was one of your worst dates, which was with a girl that brought her baby along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and look, I love I loved children, but just let that's me know punching. if they're going to come on a first date. <laughs> like, first that's date? A, yeah, first date. <laughs> and like, it was, I didn't go to a kid-friendly restaurant either. So it was just a really awkward situation. And I don't think she realised, I don't think she was aware of the fact that I thought it was weird to bring your child to a date that I'd You never knew she had a of. baby, right? No, she, she didn't tell me nothing. Uh, okay. I didn't know she had a child. So you I, made I a went, reservation for two, three appear. Yeah, three appear. I went to meet her by the car, like near the venue. And then she opened the, 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 like the passenger side and then pulled out this baby. I was like, whose baby is this? And she's like, this is mine, it's my son. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't know you had a son. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't get a sitter, so I brought him, I brought him along. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. And so, yeah, we just had this really awkward date, and the son was looking at me like, who are you, my uncle, my new father, I don't know who you are. Um, and, yeah, I, I never saw her again. I, we still follow each other on social media, but and I've said this, this story quite a few times, so I'm surprised she hasn't messaged me to say, Mel, are you talking about me by any chance? It could be today. It might happen now. Maybe she was just on a daddy search. Yeah, for real, which is fine. But I'm, I mean, on I can't paper, you've got it all. You've got a steady job. Yeah, <laughs> you're well liked. She can she can stalk you in a good way, like really do her homework. There's loads of you online. You're not just that, working off some old Facebook account. Now you're just freaking me out. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you're right, though. She's probably looking do. for like a, a new father yeah. for a child. And, and now you've got babies in the family. Yes, yeah, lots of kids. There's always kids in our family, there's always kids. But yeah, my sister has just had twins, so it's the twins, and then I've got like a niece uh, who is four years older than them, and they're all just like amazing, they're so cute, too cute. So maybe, you know, maybe that, that ferocious sperm count of yours is going to come good one day. God, that's a very bad turn of phrase that I've just used there. Yeah, I've never, never heard it being talked about in that in that way i'm not I'm sure sorry. how i feel about it okay, should we move to our first question yeah yeah let's move on <laughs>
wanted to start off by talking to you about persistence, which you mm-hmm. seem to have in an abundance, right? And to my eye, you sort of live by the mantra of if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. And certainly when it came to making it as a broadcaster. And also, I suppose with your appearances on Strictly, right? You, you go into Strictly, you're first voted off, you, you gutted, but didn't stop you going back. And then only winning it like a matter of months later. So talk me through why persistence Mm -hmm. is more important than the pride of sort of, you know, running away in the face of rejection and what it's taught you in terms of where you are now. In in relation to my career, um, it's because I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Um, I... I remember doing work experience for my uncle in central London and it was the most boring office I've ever worked in in my life. And it was like an insurance brokers and there was no one in this place that, you know, I really connected with. There was like just one guy who I used to kind of go to lunch with. But other than that, I I realized at an early age, I didn't want to be in that environment anymore. I'm not saying that that's a bad place to work. Like there's loads of people that work in offices and they've got great jobs and they get paid really well, but it just wasn't for me. and I just remember thinking to myself, there are so many channels, there are so many stations, there's so many production companies out there. There will be someone out there that will, will accept me and get me and allow me to do what I do for them and their audiences. So that, in terms of my career, that's how I kind of like worked things out in my mind. And in terms of the Strictly story, that was actually... Um, it's quite interesting because when I got kicked off Strictly, I was devastated. I was was so upset because I thought I let down so many people. Like my mum's a big fan of the show. Um, Jeanette Manrara, who's my dance partner at the time, is incredible, who you, you probably know as yes, well. Yes, her and Aliash have been on the show. So you, you know them really well. And you know how hard they work. And she put so much effort into me for those first few weeks on the main show. And so when I got... When I got kicked off, I, f- I felt like I let them down. Um, and obviously for me, it was kind of a weird situation because I was up against Anastasia. She had a really bad injury. She didn't want to do her dance off. So I felt like I never got that chance to really fight for my place. Yeah. Um, and and you're a good of, dancer, right? You can more than hold your own in a nightclub. I think I'm all right. Yeah, in the, in the club, I'm okay. Yeah. And so like... Um, so it wasn't like an embarrassment of riches. You weren't, you know, John Sargent. I wasn't embarrassed, but I felt like I let everyone down yeah. because I think dancing by yourself in a club and dancing with a partner doing the tango is, is two completely different things. And when they yeah, called me back... <laughs> completely different. So much well, to think about in ballroom in Latin America, isn't it's, there? It's like a minefield of all, mm. of all this information and, and practice. And I remember coming home and and BBC called me up and said Melvin we want you to do the Christmas special and initially initially I said no I actually came home called my sister up and said look they want me to do the Christmas special what do you think and she was like you have to do it Melv and I was like why she goes because you'll go on and you'll smash it and I was like yeah but I got kicked off the the main show and she's like yeah but you're my brother and I know you're going to do well and they didn't get a chance to to meet the real you she was like, just go and do it. And I was like, okay, cool. So then I called them up, I said, cool. Did some rehearsals, came back, and my sister would sit and watch all the videos with me. And then she learnt Jeanette's moves, not as well as Jeanette did, but she would basically practice with me every night after I practiced with Jeanette in the day. And then that's how I learnt the routine. She is a great sister. Yeah, and she she just believed in me. I just went, yeah, she believed in me. And I think because if she believed in me so much, I kind of got that that confidence back and and that's how I ended up. It's great though, because you rewrote the ending, 
which is yeah. which is lovely, right? Because yeah. an, an experience that would have otherwise always sat a bit kind of like yeah, you? I wouldn't. Now I like I go to the shows now. I went to see Ricky the other day when he was on the Christmas special, and <sighs> so and I've watched so many people. Like I'm friends with all the the pros. Like I DJed at Jeanette's wedding. It's so okay. for me, my my memory of Strictly is still a positive one. So it's mad because I won and I lost all in the same year. But it's a positive memory because you persistently stayed in the game or went back for more until you got the outcome you desired. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, I suppose you're right. I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, you're definitely right. And, and, and like I with just the broadcasting, think... Ricky, Ricky tells this story of like when you two met at uni and you became yeah. mates, right? And you're, you're tinkering around on on local radio and student radio and you both got this idea that you want to be broadcasters he said that you were so obsessed with mtv news that you used to walk up to people on campus and go this is melvin o'doom for mtv news <laughs> how did you find that i can't even remember yeah but that's exactly what that's what, what, self-belief my friend that is that's crazy that you, you know that so like, some... it was like manifesting before we called it manifesting yeah i mean i because look there was on on the screens at that time, there was maybe three black guys. You yeah. had, um, you Richard, had Blackwood. Richard Blackwood, you had Lenny Henry, you had Trevor McDonald. And so I remember just watching Richard and going, I think I could do that. I just, that that's is all dismal, I isn't it? That, you, that we can only cite three prominent black men on it television. It was a mad thing. It was crazy. And so wow. I just remember thinking, well, at uni, my mate had a camcorder and any time he had it on, I'd just pretend I was on. MTV and then ended up on MTV. How do you end up on MTV? Because I, I worked at the M I worked at VH1, which was part of MTV, and I learned so. Without that, I don't know that I would ever have ended up becoming the broadcaster that I am. Because it's just hours and hours of output where you learn to be better. I feel like you were there in the naughty times as well. Like, I was. I, I've heard stories about you, like, um, <laughs> but no. I got the job because of Ricky. Ricky was on MTV News where, and then he ended up doing news with Laura Whitmore. And then basically the truth is I so badly wanted to work there. I would follow Ricky into work every week, every single week and just like crack jokes in the office and fool around. And then after a while... Oh, what, what, how did you pass yourself off as like what? Ricky's assistant? No, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I literally would just because we obviously were still doing we were doing Kiss at this point, right. so people knew we were like t like a duo together, and I'd just kind of be like, oh, I'm just here with Ricks, just finished the radio, and would just always be around. And then his boss, a woman called Lisa Stoker, who you probably know as well, yeah, she was like, Melvin, do you want to audition to do continuity with Ricky and Laura? And then that was it. I just got the job. When you get those jobs, right, those moments, you never forget them, do you? When you've wanted something yeah. so bad for so long. Talk to me but about that moment and how you marked me, it. It's, it's n so I want, to talk, I want to go back a little bit. Because you on. know when people go to you, oh, you know what, you have to be good at networking in this industry. And, and you do, but I hate the, the forced like acts of networking, like going up to someone because if you want a job. I always think you should be natural. Just be yourself. And if someone likes you, then they'll notice that. And so I remember being at a party. There's a guy called Azim, who you must know. You must know Azim. Azim. 
he's just well connected. He knows everyone in the industry and every single year he does a massive party for his birthday. Back then it was just a, a party, but now he does like fancy dress and people go right. to a little bit yes, like Jonathan Ross's Yes, you've one. turned up loads of times with proper full-on fancy dress at his yeah. parties, right? Yes, yeah, yes, like yes. Really now going, right? Yeah. So Azim had this party. It was in this really cool bowling alley. And Ricky's boss, now my old boss, Lisa Stokoe, was there. And we're just dancing. We're cra- cracking joke, dancing. And she literally turns to me and goes, Melv, you're actually really funny. Why don't you come in an audition? And that's what happened. That's what happened. I didn't go and do an interview. I didn't like beg for a job I didn't go check this show real I didn't go here's my CV it was literally we were just catching joke having fun and she was like I think you'll be funny on MTV and that's how I got it can you remember the first time you tagged yourself on MTV you know when you go uh, I'm Melvin Adum this is MTV <laughs> it was uh, yeah it was for MTV Diggs so it was continuity with Diggs and uh, we had like a, f- a variety of different producers on the show and they were just all amazing. But it's it's mad because what, now you say that, when I think about it, when I was actually there, I don't think I realised how big a deal it was until it was all over. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was there, I was just like, I'm here, I've done it, I've made it. I'm, so I'm almost supposed to be here. Yeah. And then when, and it's, when, I, when I speak to people like yourself and you're like, Melvin, remember when you used to talk about your time at university and you'd have the sign off on your mate's cam, like Damien's camcorder, and Rick's would say, you know, you'd pretend to be on MTV base. And I was thinking, oh, sugar, yeah, he's right. Like, I used to really speak that into existence, and then I did it, and I didn't realize all this, because when we were at Kiss, everything was just this mad whirlwind. We, we ended up on Kiss, and then it was MTV, then Four Music, then we had um, extra factor, then stri- all these just things, everything kind of happened really Well, it quickly. dominoes, doesn't it? But you yeah. always need something to, tu- to light the touch paper. And I know for you it was Kiss, but MTV was the one that's, that opened you out into the world of broadcasting rather than just radio. Put yeah, you on camera. Yeah, yeah definitely. And also but I think all- a lot of telly networks looked to MTV and the talent they signed for what was coming up next, right? So who's coming up next? Because I think in the 90s, MTV were on the money. I mean, I remember the, the MTV makeup room, right, in the 90s was me, Davina McCall, Sarah wow. Cox, Kat wow. Dealey, Edith Bowman doing news, Sugar. right? That, that, you look at where we all ended up, you know? that's So I think that a lot of stall was put by... Because the audience numbers were tiny on MTV, but it was the industry eyes that were watching. That's That was where it was important. And will you make that moment count? And there's so many that don't. There's so many that go to the pub. And I was always the one that went home and got my scripts in order for the next day. Boring, but you know. It's not boring because you're a G at what you do. And I, I remember I've, I've kind of... I've bumped into you so many different times at different opportunities. I remember yeah. you did something for the Prince's Trust and That's you were right. actually producing that. And I've seen you like do presenting stuff for so many different corporations and companies. And I see your name flying around. And I think I remember when I started to worry about the young cats that were coming through. Because when we started, there was like, I, you're just, when you're young, you're confident. You just think you're oh, the best at everything. So confident. And then the young cats come from you are like, oh shit, <laughs> like yeah. where do I where do I sit in this arena in this industry? And I think one thing that you can't you can never forget is longevity. Like mm-hmm. I really I'm really proud of how long myself and Ricks and Charlie have been in this industry, and we've yeah. been able to do a bit of TV, a bit of DJing, a bit of radio, and, and still have like these audiences that want to tap into it. And it's same interesting. For you. 
I think you get to this stage and actually that becomes my mark of success now. It's like when people say, what do you want to do next? It's like this, just this. Like yeah, I'm yeah. so happy because the variety that I have is and has been for so many years such that I, I never get and nothing nothing gets boring nothing gets tired but actually after a certain i think once you've gone past two decades and you're well past that now yeah you you're up to yeah. two decades yet yeah, yeah then yeah. that's it i think it's actually success is being here yeah you're right i agree one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm going to move to our next question. Melv, name three things that absolutely infuriate you. Oh, man, okay. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't care. I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, Traffic wardens is number one. Um, Number two... Why do they infuriate you? Just because of, I think, there are other other jobs for you to do. Like, because of... God forgive me, I did say that recently in a way, just somebody wrote me a ticket. Yeah, I just I did say, and my son said to me, Mum, you've just shown yourself up so bad. But I did say there's two million vacancies in this country and you chose this as a profession. Yeah, it just makes too many people unhappy. And most traffic wardens do not care about giving you a bill for parking up. So yeah, traffic warden. But I get get they need to do it because then people will just be parking up. There'll be someone in front of my house right now. What I'd like to know is, do they get like bonuses every time they write a ticket? I'm sure they do because they take too much pride in it. Too much pride. So that's my first one. The second one is, and I might get a bit political, is, um, and it's linked to traffic as well, is cameras. Um, 100%. Right, because they're, they've served up as something that's there to keep you safe, but really it's just to create revenue. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I tell you what, a, a little while ago, I was really upset about, you remember like, like Sarah Everard? Yeah. And there was a, there's been a few women who've gone missing and, and as you know, I was raised in a house of women. My mum, my sister, my cousin lived with me for a little bit. And so, like, we, I hold women in very high regard in, in my family, my community in general. So for me, for you to create this technology that will scan your number plate and send you a bill, but it can't find someone that gets kidnapped, 
for me is a madness. That that's insane. That should be the priority for that technology. Totally. So for me, that's that's the second thing. I couldn't. I could. You know, I could not agree more. That I could not that agree more. Really, like it really upsets me. Like that's that's the situation. Yeah. Um, it even really upsets me that women feel that they have to have the security of safety cameras around them in order to walk home at 11 o'clock at night, as Sarah yeah. was. Yeah. Now, I live not far from where she was taken. I drive that route most days, and it never not chills my bones, you know, that a police officer did that to her. It's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and the last thing, trolls. Like, just general hate on it on the internet. What? Yeah. Do you know what? I'd love to sit in a room full of those people and just ask them why. Like, why? They must be so unhappy. Um, I think for some people it's escapism. It's, it's a little bit like being a catfish. And it's a really mean persona to take on. I, and we're quite lucky, actually, because we don't get a lot of it. And I could probably count on one hand how many times someone sent something to me bad. But I'm quite lucky in that we've, we are, we're a threesome. Sounds a bit weird, but there's three of us. <laughs> so yeah, thruple, thruple. <laughs> Big up David Hay. But um, because there's three of us, we could always, it, it doesn't always feel like a personal attack. But weirdly enough, we've started doing something on our show, on our show called Melvin Shade. Because some people like to diss me about my height or whatever, or my hair. So people always diss me. And I started, I've started reading them out now. And the audience- Like the Jimmy Kimmel, is it Jimmy Kimmel that does it? Yeah, like mean tweets, yeah. yeah. But I, it's, it's turned around because of, I think initially people were teasing a little bit, but now it's become like you're, you teasing your mate, like a bit of banter. Yeah. And so now, so you're now taking it's really, the power out of the conversation and yeah, giving it to yourself. Because they're like, Melvin's going to read this out because he, he finds this funny. It's yeah. not because of, I think I'm going to upset him. Yeah. And so now I'll read out loads of tweets like dissing me. And, <laughs> and actually it's, it's always said with love because the people literally say, oh, Melvin, I'm only joking. And they're saying it with love. And so, but the, the real trolls who say mean stuff about people yeah. and it turns them to do crazy stuff, that really upsets me because you, you I think people forget the power of words. And we lost, like, we lost a good friend years ago because he just didn't open up about how he felt and he took his own life. And I always got I'm to think to myself, bro, like you should have come and spoken to like, there's so many of us, like I told you, we got, yeah. you got me, you got Joseph, you got Josiah, you got all these boys here, that we're all here, bro. And he didn't feel comfortable. And so, yeah, I, I think people don't realize the power in their words. So yeah, trolls on the internet really. Do you know what I think, I hope, that would be sat here in three or four years' time, maybe not even that long, going, God, do you remember when you could troll on the internet and there was no accountability and Kay. no consequence? Because Kay. it's got to change. Did, don't let me even get started. Because the real essence of this is the technology exists. Of course it does. The technology exists. If you can... If you can, um, if you can flag that COVID is in a conversation, you can flag hate. Mad. So that leads me to believe that they want us to hate each other. Well, it generates traffic. It keeps you on the sites. The eyeballs are there longer, of course. But it, that's why that, it needs an independent body policing it so that people's interests 
and not profit interests are put at the heart of how technology is used. Yeah, that's crazy. Like most of the people that write hate online would never cross the street, tap you on the shoulder and tell you you're fat or um, come and pull your hair and, and, and insult you. They just yeah. wouldn't, right? Because they're cowards and because it's not acceptable behavior. And in society, people would turn around and react and respond, you would hope, right? And so you can't behave like that towards another human being. Yeah. There's no difference. Yeah. So, so I think actually it is already happening. And I just worry sometimes, that, you know, people with platforms like us, we don't do enough um, to stamp our feet and say, it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. Well, Let's we do. use you're this do, technology You're doing better. it now. Well, I think we do, but it's, mm. the fact of the matter is... I feel like I should be walking through the streets with a placard. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you could do that, but no one's going to care. Like, it's these people feel protected. It's similar to like, you know when, that's why road, road rage is such a, a thing. Because people feel protected for that for those few Perfect. seconds because they got like this little. It's an early form of bit, trolling. Yeah, yeah. yeah basically, they, you're pulling this, wanker signs. Yeah, a bit of glass the, around a, a bit of metal. Door. But if you're in your house and you think no one will find you, you just think I can say whatever I want. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. It's actually mad, but it's actually not the troll's fault. It's, it's the people who create the technology. It's their it's their issue. They need but to you know what? It. They can fine you for driving a car through an area that they've decided now suddenly needs to have cleaner air. Mm. But they can't find hate online. They can. Of course they can. They can. Oh, Imagine man, if it's you, time we round for politics, my friend. We'll, I think, yeah, we'll I think this next chapter of our careers has been we'll, decided for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listen, Damn. I'll, I'll be happy to live in number 10. Actually, I wouldn't want that job. No. It's a hard job. I, and that, yeah, We're not, I'm not even going to go down this road with you. No, but thanks for that. I think you're quite right to be angry about all of the above. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing with me. Well, we'll leave that one there then and move to our third and final question. I wanted to stick with partnerships and you kind of set this up beautifully because they've been such a massive part of your professional life. You've worked alongside Ricky and Charlie for years now. Um, but before that, there was Dick and Dom. You've even yeah. been on a road trip with Gemma Collins. Oh, yeah. Man alive. Yeah, Gem, easy Gem. So talk me through the men and women who've proved to be invaluable as wingmen and wingwomen. And they, it doesn't just have to be at work. I mean, like I know your sister, for example, is mm. somebody that you can't imagine life without. You two are super tight, aren't you? Yeah, my number one is Yona. Like, we call her the angel of the family because... She's the kind of person that goes out of her way for everyone. I always tell, I might have even said this on our wedding day. So there was this story where my gran started to lose her vision and she basically called all the doctors in Ghana because she wasn't living here at the time. And she was like, my gran needs this surgery. It needs to be done now. And they were like, cool, but it's going to cost this much. It was like a crazy amount. My sister didn't have the money. My grand didn't have the money. So she sat and called every member of our family, aunts, uncles, cousins. She was like, whatever you've got, I've set up this account. Just put this money into this account. It's for grandma. And no one could argue because my grand used to be the kind of person that would come to England, would take care of the babies for like a year, then go back home to Ghana. It was like mad. So She's everyone a superhero. So your sister kind of crowdfunded before that was even a thing. Before it was a thing, right? So she's collected all this money, oh. called up this doctor, booked an op operation. My gran had this surgery and then she could see again. Like, that's the kind of stuff that my sister does. Like, no one asks her to do it. She just goes, right, this needs to be done. And 
she's just really good like that. And like I said, I've told you before, like she's just got this self-belief and she believes in, in everyone and she's, she can turn a, a negative into positive. I remember when, because you know how this industry works. There's, it's like a, it's literally like a roller coaster. Sometimes you're mad busy. Sometimes it's really quiet. And I remember the first time things went quiet when we was at Kiss and we were doing MTV and MTV kind of stopped. Kiss TV had stopped for a bit and we weren't doing that much television. We still had DJ gigs, we still had radio, but the TV stuff had stopped and I was thinking, oh, sugar. And I remember calling my sister up and going, they're bored of us, you know. I don't think we're going to be able to do this in a few years. And she was like, what? She, I said, yeah, no, no, one's, no one's asked us to do any screen tests. I've not got any TV gigs. We've not been on, on TV for about three or four months. And my sister said to me, until no one is listening to you on the radio and no one's going to your gigs, don't call me and don't give up. Just keep going. She goes, when everyone stops listening, then give me a call and let me know and tell me that you're worried. But she goes, until then, just keep going. And I was like, it's interesting way of thinking. I was like, okay, cool. And we're still here. We're still grinding. That was about, because that was my old place. That was about 15 years ago. Wow. So Do you find that you worry less about that stuff now? Um, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't give my, myself a chance to worry about stuff. I think if I'm ever nervous, I just, I just do it. I just have to get it done. Like, I don't get, because I think that's the thing. With me, I, I end up creating this narrative in my mind. And uh, I talk myself out of stuff. So well, that's just... good. And also, you've always got somebody by your side. So we, we've talked about Yona as being a really invaluable wingwoman. But Ricky mm. and Charlie, I mean, Ricky you met at uni. But where did Charlie come into the so equation? So Charlie was at Kiss. Charlie was there way before us. She was with Bam Bam. She was with Street Boy. She was with Robin Banks. So She's it's funny because everyone, yeah, they're all of them legends. And everyone thinks, oh, you, you guys were put together with Charlie. No, we came into her house. Yeah. And I think the reason why we worked is because we all had this, um, we all had the same drive and we all have really similar values. Like, mm. Charlie, the way I speak about me and my sister, woohoo! Wait till you see the way Charlie speaks about her brother and her mum and dad. Wow, you ain't seen family like that. No ah. way. And then Rick's, he's like head of the house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you go to, like, you go to Rick's for that. Like, if anything's up, he's just like the man and he's just always had this mad swag and he's cool. Like even when I met, the first time I met him, me and my friend Leroy were sitting in this club and we were just like, it was just terrible music and he just came up in like designer wear and he introduced himself. And he's just this really cool guy that came from Brit school and was just, just on point from day dot. So yeah. But there's loads he's of slick, us. isn't he, Ricky? Slick, Ricky is slick for real. Slick he's, Rick. He's the real deal. That's yeah. it. It's it, Rick, slick Rick by name and nature. Is, Nothing is seems to phase him. He's got this um, no. quiet, calm confidence. And I think with, with Ricky, he's just a warm character. Like everyone loves him. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone that doesn't like Ricky. I remember my mum was so, like my mum met him and she was just so gassed by him. Like she just loved Ricky and... Um, so yeah, she loves I, him more than you. Yeah, probably. probably. Yeah. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, that's probably the, <laughs> the case. Um, but yeah, there's loads of us. There's like my uni boys. My I've got two really close friends from school. I've got my cousin Joseph, and we're we're like a little village of, of people. And if you're if you need like help with your car, you can go to this person. If you need help with your property, you can go to this person. If you're having problems in your love life, you go to this person. Like everyone has like their own little role. And we all kind of support each other. So I'm, I'm quite lucky in that sense. 
Well, yeah, no. I mean, like you've collected good people. Yeah, I think I think you have to in in this world. I think that's what keeps me sane. Anyway, that's what we're mean? here for, right? Yeah, definitely. human connections in an age of tech. Nothing I didn't makes realize you feel better than lot. people, do they? Yeah, I thought I was a loner. I thought I quite enjoyed being like my own space. But when we went into lockdown, I realized how much I need people around me. I mm. I hated lockdown by the end of it. Yeah, I think for people that lock down on their own, I think there is a conversation to be had around how they're, they're impacted by that because I think it was long and yeah. difficult and erosive. Well, definitely. Definitely. But Were you yeah. still broadcasting? Yeah, we did the show. What happened was one person would have to go in at a time. So, so this is quite deep. So my mum got really ill in lockdown. She actually With got COVID. COVID. Yeah, she got taken to hospital. Oh. And so it freaked me out. She's, thank God she's, she's fine now. But I didn't want to go into the office. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to leave my house. And so Ricky and Charlie, this is what I'm saying about the support. Mm. They would go in like each week so one week it would be Ricky one week it would be Charlie They'll, they would control the desk and faders and stuff and I'd sit in this room and broadcast from here for eight months it took eight months before I came back into the studio and even then I felt weird about it but yeah it was it was first part of lockdown I loved it because like I'm doing the show from home in my pants it's great and then by the end of it I was like I hate this and then I was worried about my mum and it was like when it was bad it was when mm. no one knew what this thing was and she's a care worker. And they were like the people that were hit the the worst, do you mean? And she, because of my mum is this really tiny- And really not properly looked out for Not looked, looked out for. And my mum is the kind, when you, I'm gonna introduce you to my mum. When you meet her, she refuses not to work. And, and when we were saying to her, mum, like we've turned on the news, they're saying this, they're saying you need to stay at home. Um, she was like, well, no, because what about my patients? What about the, the care home that I work at? I can't leave them. Like, who's going <sighs> to feed them? Who's going to clean them? And I was like, yeah, but mum, who's going to take care of you? Like, and she was like, no, no, I have to go. And so she kept going to work. She didn't stop working. And then she got ill. So I, it was all this, I had these mad emotions going through my, my head because I was like, I get you're trying to help someone, but like, who's helping you, mum? And then she got ill. And then I was, I, don't, I didn't know whether to be upset with her or sad, or what, it was just all these different mad emotions going through my head. But yeah, lockdown was a mad time. It was a really crazy time. It's funny as well, isn't it? Because we don't really talk about it, do we? It's a bit like the war. But I think once you come out of it, you just don't want to look back and I kind of rake over the coals of it. But we lived through the most extraordinary times. And I don't even talk about it every week, let alone every day, you know. And it was massive and seismic and life-changing. It's weird that we don't, isn't it? It's so interesting you say that because every now and then I do have moments where, that's probably why I brought it up, where I do remember it because I was at a festival the other day and it was an amazing festival. And even just watching Glastonbury, I was like, a few, a few years ago, years yeah. ago, you know, we weren't even allowed to sit in a house with your family. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing festivals on TV. I thought, will we ever go to a crowded environment again? Will, again. Uh, will we ever play a show and then when you get your head around all of that, so many years later, as you're all kind of putting the jigsaw of your head back together, you find out that in Downing Street, they weren't living by the same rules. And for people like your mum, who played it by the book and put others before herself, you know, shame on them. Yeah, it's crazy. That's why for me, like, 
people talk about your heroes and it's funny because I made a lot of celebrities my heroes and then one by one they got knocked down like I'm not even mentioning any names but there's certain people who in the industry who I grew up loving and now you wouldn't look up, look up to them in the same way so my heroes yeah. are my sister and my mum and people mm. like that they're, they're my real life heroes what about Dick and Dom? Because Dick and Dom gave you a break at a time when you really needed it. I mean, it was a bit of a game changer. You became part of their setup whilst dressed as a dolphin performing the running man. <laughs> so, I mean, as auspicious starts go, Melv, it's up there. You do your research, Kate, man. I'll tell you that. I'll give, do you know what? You are The devil's so, all the detail, you know? Yeah, that's what's scary about you. Your, your <laughs> partners could never cheat on you, boy. You'd find everything out. So listen, you, you remind me of a broadcaster called Nardwa. He's Canadian, right? right? But he goes in on the research, like in. Like but you know what? I, th I think that like, like if, if you're going to give me an hour of your time, I should yeah. give you the courtesy and respect. People don't of, do that though. Of, of looking in, into your life and finding the very best bits. You know, I never invite somebody onto the show to show the bad bits about their life. I want to come on and I want you to come away from this show going, I really enjoyed that. And boy, you know, almost looking at yourself through a new lens going, like you did at the beginning, he's all right, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like a little bit of, I don't know, positive therapy. No, I don't you're right. Know. No, I, li but, yeah. I like it. So anyway... I digress. Rabbit holes are my favourite place to go with guests. <laughs> and you, as a running man, dressed as a dolphin, is where we'll reconfigure this so, story okay. and pick up. So go on, Dick and so, Dom. Dick and Dom, first ever show on television that I ever worked on. It, it was through actually a friend at university called Chanel Robinson, which is why I always say, like I did a, a panel the other day, and when I speak to young people and stuff, and they always go, what advice do you have? And I'm like, one of my bits of advice is be nice. Like people gotcha. underestimate the power of niceness. That's probably why you asked me to come on this today because you've gone, Melvin's not a dickhead. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. So, and you, you know what? Every time I leave you, I leave with a smile, Melv, right? That's and people remember how you make them feel. It's that old adage, isn't it? Exactly. There's a million people you could speak to who you have access to. And so I think when you're nice, people remember that, actually. And so Chanel... We got on very well at uni. She started working at CBBC literally as soon as she got out of university. Was, I was she like, like one of those bright stars at uni that was always going to go places? Yeah, she was like proactive. While yeah. me and Ricky were downloading stuff illegally on Napster, she was like <laughs> sending in application forms to like every single broadcaster. She's got spreadsheets, clipboards. Yeah, yeah. 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 And like, me like and Ricky that. just sitting in the corner like messing yeah. around. Um, <laughs> but Chanel was like amazing and, and started working for the BBC like mad early. And then she messaged me one day and was like, Melvin, I'm working on this show. I can't pay you, but you'll get to see how TV works. Um, and then, you know, maybe it might lead to something else. So I just came in. She gave me this outfit. She was like, you're going to start dancing when I give you the signal. And I remember my gran used to say, whatever you do in life, do it to the best of your ability, no matter what it is. And I, I, feel, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm in the dolphin outfit. No one can see me. Let me just do what I'm doing. And I just bust all these moves. And um, This is pretty strictly, right? Pretty strictly, yeah, before my strictly training. And the producer, a guy called Steve Wright, he came downstairs and Richard and Dominic were there and they were like, that was hilarious. Do you want to come back? And then from that point on, I would come every single week and they'll give me a different character to do. Like, to be fair, for about 
a year, I didn't really have any lines. It was all kind of like costume work and character work. And then they employed like three other guys. So a guy called um, Ian Kirkby, Dave Chapman and Lee Barnett, all amazing performers, all like studied theatre, like to like either at Lam Raja or Lambda or whatever, like proper performing arts gods. Um, Ian has done loads of productions. He's just like a proper, proper like theatre head thespian. And then Dave is so big now, he actually does all the production work for Star Wars. Wow. So, yeah, these are the guys who I was around and they kind of taught me like how to, to act and do stuff. And then the show got bigger and bigger. They won like two children's BAFTAs. Yeah. It, I was on there for like five years. Wow. It was. When did they start paying you? About two years in. <laughs> this two is years what in. I mean about persistence, right? It goes right back to question number one. And Ian Kirkby, because his wife was a, she was an agent. She was a, a TV agent. So the rule was at the BBC, whatever someone gets paid, then everyone had to get paid. So I got David paid Nations. really well because of, because of Ian and, and everyone else. Yeah. That's great. But the fact is you turned up for two years unpaid because you were learning something. You were getting better. And yeah. I bet, I mean, for all the silliness of what it was, I bet it's informed the broadcaster you've become. It's, it's funny because even till this day, I have so much respect for Richard and Dominic. Dick and Dom are incredible broadcasters. Very to, underrated, to, aren't they? Underrated. Every weekend, they were in a studio and half the time, yeah, there was a massive script, but a lot of the stuff that happened was not scripted. Mm. A lot of it was unplanned and they had eight kids running around to deal with and every single week and they did it and were so good at it and um, yeah, so whenever I see them, they'll call me up and be like, Melvin, can you do this? And I never argue because of I remember the opportunity they gave me um, I never forget that. I'm quite a loyal person in that sense. Oh, so you got good people. Yeah. But you got good people because you are good people. I hope so, Kate. <laughs> now, I love talking to you. Thank you so much for your time no, today. Thanks for having me. This is really nice, actually. It's good. I love it. So this is what the dream show, right? This right, is your the dream, dream ticket. show. I can see why it's so popular now. I'm living the dream. It's great. Well, it only works because I have interesting guests. So thank you. No, anytime. You know, I'm always here for you. So thank you for having me. My huge thanks to Melvin Adoom. What a lovely man. That's why he's been doing this for 20 years. You can catch him uh, every night, 9 till 11 on Radio 1 with Charlie Hedges and Ricky. And if you want to learn more about how you can save your own sperm, or the sperm of someone you love, uh, then don't forget, streaming on 4OD right now, Save Our Sperm. And for more fascinating chat with professional radio heads, why not head to our back catalogue where you'll find episodes with Ken Bruce, with Simon Mayo, Emma Barnett, Vernon Kay, Jordan North, Sheila Fogarty and Fee and Jane Glover, to name but a few. And we've also got episodes with Jeanette from Strictly and Russell Kane in there, if that's more up your street. I'll be back next Tuesday with another drop of vintage guests in our midweek mini episode, Something from the Cellar. Until then, thanks for listening. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 